Ohio State's program had hit rock bottom. The athletic department had empty pockets from a football team that couldn't win. To set things right, Ohio State needed a fresh start. The Buckeyes fired coach David Farragut Edwards after a single win during the 1897 season. As summer turned to fall, OSU needed a new head coach. A coach not only to lead the team, but to reinvigorate the program. They turned to a familiar hand, someone with a track record of winning in Columbus. They turned to Jack Ryder. The OSU Athletic Department gave a close look to three finalists for the coaching gig. Jack Ryder, coach Jack Ryder, was the unanimous choice. After all, Ryder's history coaching OSU spoke for itself. He led the Buckeyes to their first winning season ever in 1892, coaching the team for a four-year stint. Ohio State's fortunes improved under Coach Ryder during the 1898 season. The Buckeyes ended the year with three wins and five losses. While it was an improvement, it was still another losing season. One of the biggest losses came against Kenyon that year. Kenyon held the Buckeyes scoreless, 29 to nothing. The Lantern, Ohio State student newspaper, reflected on the loss to Kenyon, a loss emblematic of many for the Buckeyes in the 1898 season. The visitors outplayed the varsity at every point and showed the finest form in both their team and individual work. Every man was in every play, and every play was fast and hard. The 1898 season ended with an echo of the two seasons prior. Ohio State and coach Jack Ryder parted ways. The program had taken a small step forward, but the Buckeyes were, in a word, bad. OSU had posted a 4-12-1 record the previous two years and cycled through three coaches in three seasons. The Buckeyes needed to turn the page. They needed a spark. Who better to lead the program than the coach that had dealt OSU one of its worst recent losses? A coach who ran circles around the Buckeyes in strategy and execution. The Buckeyes hired Kenyon head coach John Ekstorm. What Ekstorm did next would electrify the program and do no less than change the course of Ohio State football history. Ekstorm? John Ekstorm? Who was that? The question rang through campus as students and faculty heard the news around OSU. Three seasons, three new head coaches, and the latest in line is John Ekstorm? When Ekstorm walked into the room, you wouldn't have known he was coach. He didn't look a day older or less fit than when he starred at Dartmouth. In his mid-twenties, with neatly parted hair, a bit shaggy, Ekstorm appeared ever ready to lace him up for another go on the gridiron. His friends simply called him Jack, and Coach Ekstorm had learned from experience. He grew up in Chicago and captained his high school team to a championship. At Dartmouth, he played football for four years, proving himself one of the leading halfbacks in college football's highest level of competition. Being named team captain was a natural fit for Ekstorm. He was a leader. In the words of one of his fellow Dartmouth players, he was as good a player as ever fought for the old glory of Dartmouth. To get Ohio State's football program off the ground, Coach Ekstorm needed to light a fire under his players. The 1899 season was around the corner. It would be the 10th year of OSU football, 
a time where many were dreaming big and aiming high. In Dayton, Wilbur and Orville Wright ran a bicycle shop and jumped headfirst into research that would soon unlock the secrets of human flight. But back in Columbus, it looked like the players were again grounded. X-Storm urged players to get conditioned in the spring and summer before the season started. But Buckeyes weren't showing up in great numbers for the players only summer conditioning sessions. That soon changed. As the season drew closer, X-Storm stepped into his role on campus and suddenly there were a lot more players showing up to catch the new coach's eye. Coach watched practices and saw talent, diamonds in the rough, but the team didn't have any game-breaking All-American stars. OSU students were rightly down on the losing program. The Lantern urged support for the team in their September season preview. Let us have some affection for our dear old OSU. We cannot see her fail in anything. Let us do all in our power to raise her from her almost dormant condition in this one department, athletics. She is renowned in every other line. Why not in athletics? Our new president is with us. The faculty is with us. We are all of one family and have one common end namely the betterment of OSU in every phase of college life. Let us all, president, faculty, and students, act with one accord toward the perfection of college life and of college spirit. Let us show our enthusiasm by our interest in the football 11. The Buckeyes schedule saw real challenges ahead. The opener against Oberlin looked manageable enough, but a three-game stretch loomed large in mid-October, traveling to Case, who had walloped OSU by 18 points a season ago, then a home tilt against an opponent they had never played before, a school called Ohio University. And it was all followed by a clash against a school the Buckeyes had never beaten, Oberlin. Looking further down the calendar at the big end-of-year Thanksgiving Day match, Buckeyes would face off against Coach X-Storm's old squad, Kenyon. Game day was now fast approaching at University Field. The field was south of Woodruff and west of High Street, and like High, it ran north to south. The venue, along with its successor, Ohio Field, stood as the home base for Ohio State in the years before Ohio Stadium. The field would soon welcome some talented Buckeyes, even if none were megawatt stars. The OSU roster came from all over Ohio. The backfield was in the hands of quarterback Paul Hardy from Central High School in Columbus, a returning starter. Columbus natives led the rushing attack. B.F. Yost carried the load at halfback, along with James Westwater. They were joined in the backfield by fullback James Kittle. Kittle was known by another nickname by friends and foes on and off the field. Boss. The line looked formidable. Brothers John and Charles Seagrass from Congress, Ohio, were not to be pushed around. They were, after all, from a family of 11, and that just kind of came with the territory. Charles held strong at tackle, while his brother John anchored the action at center. Rounding out the line at the other tackle was Captain Dell Sayers. Before joining Ohio State, Dell played at Ohio Wesleyan, where he was coached by the wily Fielding Yost. The lantern crossed its fingers and predicted good days ahead. Never since the days of Snedeker, Howard, Cresselius, and Nichols had the prospects for a good Ohio State team been better. 
The most of last year's players are back in school and quite a new number of men who have had experience in the game are now at OSU and declare their intention of donning a moleskin in a scarlet and gray jersey. It was a Saturday in September. Game day. Fans lined up in droves for the opener against Otterbein. X-Storm had his men ready to go. OSU's new president took the field and delivered the game ball for kickoff. The huge crowd gave President William Oxley Thompson a thunderous cheer. It would be Thompson's first football game in his role as OSU president, and one of the many victories he would take in over his legendary 26-year tenure at the helm of Ohio State. The Buckeyes tore through Otterbein. The final score, 30 zero. The lantern took in the scene. Never before has the season opened in such a blaze of glory. Attendance challenged that of Thanksgiving Day. The enthusiasm equaled that of any school in the West. The game was a beautiful one from an OSU standpoint. The Otterbein Warriors, who were so confident of victory, would crash into our impregnable line only to be forced back. OSU's goal was never in danger. Otterbein failing to get past even the center of the field. We think that our line is the best in the state. It was a grand start to be sure, but not an unfamiliar one. After all, Ohio State won the opener the last four seasons before losing the next game. Yet, the Buckeyes hadn't won back-to-back -back games in three years. Three years. And Ohio State, entering the 10th year of its program, had never started a season 2-0. Never. The next game against Wittenberg would be an important test. The Buckeyes had lost three in a row to Wittenberg, but it was soon apparent that Wittenberg stood no chance at all. OSU could not be stopped on the ground. They just had too many running threats. Fullback boss Kittle plowed for three touchdowns as OSU racked up more than 300 yards rushing. The Buckeyes trounced Wittenberg 28 to nothing. The losing streak to Wittenberg was over. And while it seemed like baby steps against decent but not great competition, for the first time in years, the Buckeyes had a winning streak. For the first time ever, OSU was 2-0. But now, the warm-up act was over. Now came a three-game stretch that would go far in defining the season. First against a strong case side, then against Ohio University, and then, only then, mighty Oberlin, who the Buckeyes had never beaten. Case was made of stiffer stuff than OSU had seen so far. A spectacular tackle by Boss Kittle kept the scoreboard knotted 0-0 at the half, and the Buckeyes' running attack grinded away in the second half for a score. Touchdowns were only worth five points back then, so OSU took a 5-0 lead after they missed the extra point. But Case would not go away. In the closing minutes on their final drive, OSU's defense, which had shut down Case the entire day, could not keep Case out of the end zone. With the game tied 5-5 and under a minute remaining, Case attempted the game-winning extra point. The kick was no good. OSU left Cleveland with a 5-5 tie. The result left many unsatisfied as the Buckeyes appeared the better side. The Lantern wrote, 
The score was a tie, but OSU outplayed Case at every point. The performance was still a strong one, and a crowd of hundreds gathered to meet the team as they arrived back in Columbus. Coach Eckstorm quickly turned his attention to OSU's first-ever clash with his next opponent, Ohio University. Let's take a moment and reflect on a more recent event. More than a hundred years after the 1899 season, Ohio State met Ohio University in the horseshoe, but the game would be remembered for what happened prior to kickoff. As the Bobcats and Buckeyes ran out on a sunny day in Columbus in 2010, OU's mascot, Rufus Bobcat, tackled and punched Brutus. It was a surprise move, met with a cascade of boos from Ohio Stadium. Maybe the Bobcat knew it at that time, maybe Rufus didn't, but every other beatdown in the OSU-OU series has been delivered by the Buckeyes, and the biggest of them all came that year they first met in 1899. Ohio State's rushing attack, led by the bruising play of Boss Kittle, the dancing moves of Hager and Yost, ran over the Bobcats. Adding insult to injury, the Buckeyes kicked their first ever field goal in program history. Dell Sayers, the captain, smashed it through the center of the uprights from 17 yards out. OSU took a big lead into the half and quickly scored again at the start of the second, extending their lead to 41 to nothing. The referees, looking around at folks, saw that OU didn't really have any life in them and called the game three minutes into the start of the second half. It was the college football equivalent of the mercy rule. OSU held a 3-0-1 record now. Up next would be their toughest test of the season. A team that had not been scored on by another Ohio team in three years. Not scored on. A team that the Buckeyes had not beat in half a dozen tries. Oberlin. Oberlin's football history was already rich. The program started play a year after Ohio State in 1891, and they were no strangers to victory. The legendary John Heisman coached there for two seasons. Heisman was a master innovator, instrumental in developing fundamental concepts of the game. He pushed for the legalization of the forward pass, created the center snap where previously the ball was rolled on the ground of the quarterback, and invented today's fumble ruski hidden ball trick. His influence on the game is honored to this day in the awarding of college football's most prestigious honor, the Heisman Trophy. The first coaching stop of Heisman's long career was Oberlin, and Heisman was a master speaker and motivator. With a stern delivery and a flair for the dramatic, every season when he first met his team, he always said the same thing. What is this? It is a prolate spheroid in which the outer leather casing is drawn tightly over a somewhat smaller rubber tubing. Better to have died as a small boy than to fumble this football. Unsurprisingly, not many fumbled the football for Heisman's Oberlin squads. Over two seasons, he compiled an 11-3-1 record. In the four years after Heisman's departure, Oberlin kept winning. In the three Oberlin-OSU matchups since Heisman left, Oberlin hung 72 points against the Buckeyes and held OSU scoreless. It was clear to Coach Eckstorm if the Buckeyes could actually beat Oberlin, then this OSU team might just be something special. 
The rain fell hard in Oberlin, Ohio. It had been this way for two days. Water pooled along the rough field three inches deep, and in some spots deep enough to lose sight of any man's ankle that stepped in. A special train was arranged to ferry OSU fans to the game. These were not fair weather fans, and 300 made the trip to cheer on the team. The OSU band was there too, playing loud. The crowd, small in number, was deafening with cheers. In the muck and the mud, amid the rain and the cheers, the Buckeyes took the field. Oberlin resorted to trick formations, but managed to outsmart themselves. In uncharacteristic fashion, Oberlin fumbled, and it was scooped up by Captain Del Sayers, who always seemed to be in the right place at the right time. Del broke two tackles and raced to the end zone. The Buckeyes took the lead, six to nothing, drawing first blood less than nine minutes into the first half. The Lantern reports the scene among OSU fans after the touchdown. The 350 OSU rooters, with their tin horns, dishpans, and megaphones, caused such a commotion in the atmosphere that it stopped raining for 10 minutes. Amid a chorus of ear-bending cheers, Oberlin could muster no attack. Oberlin, mighty Oberlin, was defeated. Euphoria reigned. The band and students marched through the town triumphant, an all-out party on the streets of Oberlin, Ohio. What had happened that day was not a stroke of luck or fate. It was simply good coaching. And good coaching with this cast of plucky players. The clever runs of Hardy, Westwater, and Yost. The downfield punishing runs of Kittle. The disruptive tackles and fierce blocks of Sayers and the Seagrass brothers. Well, this team looked like something special. Now Ohio State eyed an even larger prize, the only championship of the day that was worth a dime, the championship of Ohio, and even possibly something that no one had dreamed of at the start of the season, an undefeated year. Teams fell hard against Ohio State's vaunted rushing attack like blades of grass under a lawnmower. Kittle, Yost, Hardy, Westwater, they chewed up defenses and spit them out. Sayers and the Seagrass brothers bruising and punishing and opening holes and creating havoc all along the way. Western Reserve fought hard and fell six to nothing, their first loss to the Buckeyes. Marietta was dispatched 17 to nothing. Ohio Medical, 12 to nothing. Muskingum was outclassed 34 to nothing. Now there was only one obstacle left in the way of an undefeated season and championship of Ohio, an obstacle Coach Eckstorm was familiar with, the team he had coached to a 29 to nothing victory against OSU only a year ago. To go undefeated, Eckstorm and his Buckeyes would have to take down his old squad, Kenyon. Of all the games, of all the talent that Ohio State would face, Kenyon would be the sternest. X-Storm stared across University Field, surrounded by OSU supporters, and saw the familiar faces of his former players on the Kenyon sideline. His old squad stared back, ready for the test. But of all the tests, in all the days, amid all the practices, and all the moments, moments and losses of seasons past that nearly broke the program, 
it was the Buckeyes' time to shine. Dell Sayers, the captain with his prolific foot in timing, booted a field goal from the 30-yard line. The disruptive OSU defense, led by the Seagrass brothers, frustrated the Kenyon attack. Kenyon would never score. For the first time ever, Ohio State had the only championship mattered, the crown of the best team in the state of Ohio. And for the first time ever, the Buckeyes finished the season undefeated. The Lantern dedicated its entire front page to celebrate the special moment. The OSU football team has risen from a second-rate, second-class team to a grade first-class team in Western football. As far as Mr. Eckstorm is concerned, he is second to no coach in the United States, and it is to him more than anyone else that the success of this team is due. The Lantern continued, True, we have no star player on our team unless you call each man a star. And when it came to winning our games, we depended on no one man but the entire team. With an eye toward the future rise of the program, the Lantern added, A few more years of such coaching as our team received this year, together with the earnest work of our football players and the support of the student body, and OSU will be in a class with universities of Chicago, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Ohio State, under the leadership of a great coach, came together as a team. A team that thrived not because of one exemplary unit, but each man pulling his weight, doing their part. Hardy, Yost, Westwater, Kittle, Sayers, the Seagrass brothers. When the program stood in the shadow of mediocrity and failure, when the athletic department stood on the verge of bankruptcy, those players, they brought OSU back from the brink. The 10th season of OSU football lit the fuse for the program that lives on today. They were champions. Thanks for listening to I Want to Go Back, a podcast about the people, places, and events that shaped Ohio State football. I'm your host, Jim Baird. This podcast is part of Land Grant Holy Land's network of Buckeye podcasts. If you did like what you listened to, please give us a five-star rating and share it with your friends. Music for this episode was provided by Fields Ohio, so a special thanks to them. As you know, a podcast like this built on great research already out there. If you want to read more, I'd encourage you to check out The Die Hard Fan's Guide to Buckeye Football by Mark Ray, as well as the absolutely invaluable, the official Ohio State Football Encyclopedia by the legendary Jack Park. Both were terrific resources for me in my research and offer great insights into Ohio State football and OSU football history. Thanks for listening.